This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Housed at the home studio in London, Ontario. London, Ontario, the home of Labatt Breweries. Before we went on the air, we were having a discussion with Jeff Ryman pertaining the, the smell and how I, I the hops... Or the yeast when I used to be left in the car when my dad would stop say, I'll just be a minute, which turned into really an hour. Uh, and the smell would get to me. Um, then it got me thinking before we started, Ramya. Ramya Muth at the home studio in Toronto. Uh, of places that I could walk into, and I'll give you two examples. that, Or we would walk by, I, my mom and I, I remember as a kid, and, and somebody would come out the door and I'd, oh, that's a bank. And my mother would laugh. And I, according to, you know... Me being the scholar I was at six, I knew that's the smell of the money. Then when we'd go to Toronto, uh-huh. I knew without at a subway station, that's the subway station. Now, I think you can concur with the exact, unique, and only place you will find that smell of the subway station. Yes. Yes, it's true. And you know what I've been trying to do lately is to identify the smell of the older stations where, you know, on the Blue or Danforth line. It's yeah, like majority. Chester and uh, Pape and yeah. all that. Yeah. yeah, the ancient stations versus the new brand spanking well, new stations of up there wouldn't, Or the North York one. Let's let's do that one, I think. Is that what you call it? One way along the Young line, they have one. Uh, and that's yeah, a newer one. Or the whole Shepherd line. That whole Shepherd line, well, actually, even that feels kind of old now because the now university does, line yeah. has York University and Metropolitan or Vaughn Metropolitan and all these brand new stations. So they, and it's not the they sound different too. It's it's the, yeah, yeah, for sure. You're going to mm-hmm. get different things like that. Um, the dampness that settles in in the old, some of the old ones smell like like soil, like almost like dirt. Yes. Uh, mixed with the electric smell from from the like you're still uh, kind of outside thousand volts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you, can you tell shoppers other places? Drug other than the, yep. yep, shoppers drug. Shoppers but drug could you mart. tell a shoppers drug mart versus a Rexall? A hundred percent. Okay, I I'll... think it's because my theory is because uh, shoppers drug mart has the fragrances lines, right? Oh, like uh, that right. whole beauty boutique, I think is what they call it. Yep, and that smell mixed, mixed. with the the regular the drugstore, drugstore odor yeah. gives that unique smell of shoppers drug mart. I've mentioned a bank. Can you tell that? I don't know. I've never paid attention. I th- probably. I don't know if I but... can anymore. I don't think it's yeah. the same anymore. And I think a lot of it was paper. You know, as much as I said as a six-year-old, that's money. I think it was really actually mm. just the amount of different types of paper that were used, you know, the yeah, documents. Yeah, you definitely smell the money. Yeah, and they were right there, right? Like it was right, whatever was going on was right there for convenience. You ran in, you took out what you wanted, uh, hopefully legally, and then you went on on your way. So yeah. interesting when you think about it, you can sit there and, and, I'm, and I'm sure all of everyone listening in, I'm not just suggesting for a moment that this is a low vision or blind thing at all. We all have our smells, as Jeff Ryman was saying to us, that smell of fresh dough in a pizza place, you know, as it's so rolled out and the making of, of your pizza. That's one of his favorites. 
Coming up today, ladies and gentlemen, on this edition of Kelly and Company, Margaret Weldon is going to highlight Wounded Warriors Canada, an initiative offering support for veterans, first responders, and their families. We're also learning more about Face Equality International. This is an alliance of worldwide NGOs devoted to making sure the facial difference community can live freely and without indignity or discrimination. At the end of the program, in hour two, we're going to flip through some quirky stories from around the globe with reporter Grant Hardy when he returns back to the show. We call the segment What in the World? We'll get into that later on in hour two of Kelly and Company. So there's a new report that uh, details the impacts of climate change on human health out. In a major annual report, the Lancet Commission describing how climate change is taking a toll on human health, from heat-related illnesses and infectious diseases to food insecurity and mental health. The Lancet Commission also reporting the last seven years have been the warmest on record. Total energy demand has increased by over 50 percent, and energy-related emissions reached a historical high in 2021. Electricity generation globally is still largely dominated by fossil fuels, and since 2000, greenhouse gas emissions increased by by 31%. In Esdalikwatera, ABC News, at the Foreign Desk. So we talked about fossil fuels during our Climate Action Week. 31% when it comes to the greenhouse gases, something that as a kid I heard about, and still increasing that many years later as we look at it today uh, and take that kind of number, and that was scary. I mean, uh, we talked about it, you know, when we were in high school. So that's frightening as heck. Um, when it comes to the, the warming of the world, Ramya, I think one of the things that we we know places are getting droughts. We know, oh man, it's hot out. Uh, and and but do we really contextualize that to understanding that? Yeah, man, it's hot out more than normal, more than previous years of your life, your X number of years. I'm not sure we actually can or do contextualize that. Yeah, I mean, there's so much uh, that we're trying to digest. And I think that even just the beginning of this clip, understanding that there is various ways that we're being individually affected, right? And I think it comes down to just the stress levels, Kels, you know, understanding that um, this information, this outpour of, uh, you know, we need to take action. Is there enough action being taken? Can we say that we uh, know what we're doing personally and every day, like these actions to to make the world better, to make climate change, um, you know, slow it down? Then, and, and if the answer to most of that is no, I have no idea, but it's still stressing me out. That's the way that it's affecting us. Yeah. I love what we learned during our Climate Action Week. Just do our thing that we can do. Encourage our friends, the people in our world, the businesses, our our, our city councils, our city, our, our country governments, and so on, the world, to do the best that, that we can and to work hard at that. I really think that that's the way to go because, like you said, it becomes overwhelming. You know, you, mm-hmm. you hear 31% increase. Oh, my goodness. You panic. You get upset, and yes, it is a crisis. It is something to panic and be upset about. But our big thing is saying we are reversing this. We have to, and finding that way, encouraging that way, and demanding it in our society, and and not one step forward, three back to doing what we were doing. And the thing is, too, like we can 
any conversation can be can feel you know uh, stressful and pessimistic or it can feel hopeful and optimistic now obviously we're starting in a position where we already feel quite pessimistic about the state of the world and the state of climate but there are a lot of other conversations Kels that we can take in parallel with this one and say yeah but we were able to change that conversation to feeling hopeful to feeling like we can take part in some positive change now whether that's happening enough is really the problem well, and being realistic, there is only so much we're going to be able to do. Mm-hmm. We've mm-hmm. got to put the brakes on. We've got to slow things down. We've got to try to reverse what we can. There's many things we're not able to reverse, uh, at least in our lives or maybe our children's lives. But it is what it is, and something has to be done. Anyway, you know, we get into that often here on Kelly and Company. We do get into so many other topics, so do stick with us. We'll take a quick break. And when we return, reporter Grant Hardy shares the latest health headlines with us right here on the program, on AMI-audio, on Kelly and Company. Curious about Accessible Media Inc.? Well, folks, visit the Facebook page. Get all sorts of information there. You can like it, and you can interact, of course, with AMI over there. You can follow AMI-audio on Twitter, at AMI-audio. Great way just to keep up with uh, what's happening on the live show here. You can follow along segment to segment. Maybe you've got questions about some of the podcasts, some of the other programs that come out of AMI-audio and content that's available. You can ask questions. You can just follow along and get all the updates right there on the Twitter feed, at AMI-audio. And, of course, ladies and gentlemen, any direct questions, feedback at AMI.ca. They can fill you in on AMI-TV, AMI-audio, AMI-tele, anything you might want to know about accessible media, feedback at AMI.ca. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. We welcome you back to the program wherever you're listening in around the world. Also, welcome in from Vancouver, Grant Hardy, our reporter who brings us today, for a start anyway, Health Headlines. Grant, welcome back, buddy. Hello, thanks for having me. Awesome to have you on board as usual. Okay, so we do this on Wednesdays with Grant. Fridays we visit with him for Lifestyle. So let's see what he's got in his little kitty of things there. What you got? Okay, let me reach into the kitty and see what comes out here. Uh, All right. (laughs) You know, it's almost Halloween. It's almost that time when adults, I mean children, uh, eat lots of candy oh yeah of course Possibly children, both children of course. and adults Only of course of course ne- ne- never never us no crazy. no the adults just um, buy it for the children they they never raid it never yes exactly <laughs> um so the ontario uh dental association has published some friendly advice on halloween candy do's and don'ts with regard to your teeth so i'd like to start with the candy that is surprisingly okay uh one of them is chocolate plain chocolate definitely does have sugar in it but because it dissolves quickly it doesn't actually haunt your mouth for a long time which makes it less damaging to teeth uh also all kinds of nuts have a lot of nutrients including vitamins and minerals that can keep your teeth strong and prevent cavities uh cheese i'm not really sure well, there's cheesy candy on 
protein for sure. And eating cheese leaves a protective film on your teeth that can block sugar from doing damage. It also increases saliva, which washes away the sugar and acid in whatever you eat and drink. It also says good timing is important. Like a big bowl of candy can be mesmerizing, but uh, if you've already eaten a, a meal, you might feel a little bit uh, too full to overdo it, which can right. be helpful too. Yes. Uh, have uh, lots of water and sugar-free gum as well. Um, there's some don'ts though, and this is tough stuff. So caramel, well, not really don't so much as just sort of being caution. aware of yeah. caution, exactly. Um, so caramels and licorice and dried fruit, because they're so sticky and chewy, these sweets can cling to teeth, ruin dental work, and cause tooth decay, as well as hard candy like jaw breakers and lollipops. Bright and colorful, mm. but they can chip teeth and dislodge braces. They also soak your teeth in sugar while they dissolve. I'm kind of glad to know I'm not the only one who bites into lollipops immediately. I guess yep. you're supposed to. Yeah, yeah, I'm bad for that. I used um, to love yeah. that, right? I like it better that way than sucking it up. And it's like, oh, you know, it's a, a sort of, but, but I will say every time <laughs> I bite any of the hard candies, I do get like, oh gosh, wonder, wonder if this is the time the tooth's going to go that way. <laughs> Yeah, whoops, I didn't, didn't, don't know what that sound was. My tooth just There's an extra crunch like there. That doesn't feel like <laughs> the same crunch. Oh, that's my tooth I'm chewing on. Yeah. Oh, man. And even though they're not very sugary, chips easily get stuck on and in between your teeth and can cause cavities. It also just reminds people, I'm so bad about this as well, uh, that you not brush your teeth immediately after eating to wait an hour to kind of get things to settle down um Ooh, that's, a, that's an incredible tip because i know mo a lot of people would eat something like that and say hey, i gotta go brush my teeth and get this junk off it well especially because of our fast culture we all like i mean maybe less so with people who are at home more now but you know you eat good breakfast and then it's like i gotta freshen my breath up right away i don't think there's any way to avoid that completely but it's good to be aware of mm -hmm. uh, how are you guys looking for uh like we said, not that adults eat Halloween candy, but just pretending that we all do. Um, how are you guys <laughs> looking in terms of those uh, do's and don'ts? Mm. Well, I like some of that information because you could almost, at least from a dentist perspective, look at uh, chocolate with nuts as a, a healthy alternative. <laughs> I was thinking that. Yes, yes. You almost could convince chocolate you dark chocolate. Raisins? Oh, Jeez. well, yeah. Because, and I really like the information about cheese. So the idea is eat cheese with your meal, and then you can eat your sweets right after, and, and the cheese will have already protected your teeth, as long as you don't run off too quick, brush them, and come back. No, I think I'll get some dessert. Uh-huh. Yeah, I have actually started to eat predominantly like if somebody doesn't put a twix in my hand gosh chocolate. people um <laughs> more chocolate so to eat 85 percent dark which is Good. reasonable in Ooh, my i in love my it books. i've always loved it yeah, my yeah. mother thought there was something wrong with me when i would get into her baking chocolate what are you doing that stuff's so bitter uh, exactly <laughs> what i was gonna say i think it started off as a desperate moment when i had no chocolate in the house and found my like uh unsweetened dark chocolate for baking and i thought you know it's not bad. <laughs> it started. Cocoa. It started going out. Yeah, but anyway, it, I I haven't eaten candy candy in a really long time. I do love fuzzy peaches and 
Yeah. Oh, those Gummy are the stuff. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, sour I watermelon. Yeah. Uh, oh, so yeah. The call keys? those things sour keys? Yes. Love them. But, oh, but, yeah. but I stay really clear. See, Grant, that is when that bowl theory that of candy that eat something, go in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice big bowl. I can't because... I, I can tell you, I mean, things like sour keys, I used to have, I'd eat them until my tongue went all funny. Oh, yeah, totally. But you can almost feel it in your teeth, too, after you eat it. But You do, yeah, you do. Really you feel, you almost feel dirty. Like, because <laughs> they have that, that weird <laughs> texture that it's like you just feel, they, I'm coated in sugar, I can't, I can't even survive, I'm covered in sugar. Oh, if your yeah. teeth could talk. If your teeth could talk, well... I guess anything in moderation, you know, as long as we're we're careful. Uh, we I'm just looking at the word moderation up again. I keep hearing people throw that around. Ah, uh, yes, it's a it's a downer. What can I say? Um, you guys were t- chatting a little bit about climate change er- earlier in the show. Again, I know this is a topic that I mean keeps coming up because it's such a big thing, and I have a little article from Canadian press here talking about how it's actually influencing the healthcare system. When you have to shut down an, a hospital operating room because there's so much wildfire smoke, your instruments can't keep sterile, that's when you know ch- climate change is affecting healthcare. That's exactly what happened in the operating room of Dr. LaFontaine, president of Canadian Medical Association. These things are out of the norms. You don't think about them until they happen. LaFontaine echoed a warning and research released Tuesday uh, from well, yesterday from one of the world's top medical journals. Uh, it concludes that uh, worldwide extreme heat is already emphasizing the effects of heart and lung diseases, worsening pregnancy outcomes, disrupting sleep, increasing injury-related death, and limiting people's capacity to work and exercise. Uh, infectious diseases such as malaria have a longer season to spread. Uh, heat-related deaths have increased 68% between 2017 to 2020. Uh, sorry, yeah, 2017 to 2021 compared to the previous decade. Almost two-thirds of countries globally saw more deaths uh, due to high or extreme heat or fire danger. Uh, including the BC heat wave. Canada is not immune. And they do make some interesting recommendations. I always like when this isn't totally doom and gloom. It gives some information about what we can do about it. Uh, Part of that is to have some sort of a standardization of licensing so that, for example, if there's a problem in British Columbia, a nurse from you know Alberta or Saskatchewan, whatever, can jump in to help out. They also suggest uh, wellness checks on people who are more vulnerable to heat. Uh, this isn't mentioned in the article, but I've heard of actually uh, including uh, temperature control in building standards so that buildings would have to be built with air conditioning in mind. It also says too, Canada has too many health facilities built on floodplains or susceptible to melting permafrost. And uh, that is something that we're going to have to think about in the future. So hopefully you know, we have enough kind of wake-up calls to get people at least thinking about climate change. But uh, it's good to, to know that there's at least a little bit of control that we can 
have in terms of influencing healthcare positively? What do you guys think? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's clear that climate change is affecting so many um, ways and, and aspects of our lives that we are not even considering, right? Like going through this and thinking and, and this expense to this expense to that expense to everybody and everything um, is pretty scary. And when you were talking about how long we have of hotter days like the seasons of heat are becoming longer and longer and talking about you know malaria and and viruses being able to um, stay around much longer it took me back to our conversation about um, fleas and in our cats and dogs and how flea and tick seasons Mm -hmm. are getting longer as well so that was a real hit you know of reality when we talked to Dr. Daniel Jeanne thinking oh my gosh, you know, it's it's not just about the everyday news flashes we're getting. There's all these different ways that we can tell climate is changing. And yet there are people out there in this world who don't even believe it as a concept yet. Like it's, it's that much of a spectrum, Grant. Yeah, you, you know what I think is so interesting too is that it goes right back to this whole thought about like having human rights to things like right in Canada to healthcare. you know can you imagine like in the 1990s let's say if you called 911 and the emergency responder said like sorry we can't send anybody right. I mean you sue them it would go to litigation yeah. pretty much I'm, I'm assuming but nowadays I mean we had that we went through that in British Columbia last year where they were just so overwhelmed that like the circuit oh, wow busy people were actually calling the non-emergency number and it's like yeah we, you know i'm sorry but we can't do anything about it mm-hmm. now and mm-hmm. i think that's an interesting wake-up call but i also agree yeah. with what you said and I've, I've heard about this thing in bc as well where you know they're like oh we need a really big cold season to get rid of some of these you know bugs these ticks or whatever that are killing mm-hmm. other things they shouldn't be killing and that's just not happening no no, and everything that's has changed, great. and it's yeah. amazing how one thing changes or leads to something else. And we're we're hearing suddenly about species of penguins and so on because of a degree or two. How much it changes, how much ice, how much they can't survive because there isn't that living space for them. And we're just getting this in so many different areas because, as we've always heard and been told, boy, our ecosystem, our world is quite fragile. Wow, Grant, awesome, yeah. Yeah, well, some some food for thought anyway, but uh, hopefully we'll start to turn things around. I, I'd like to think there's enough people, good people in the world, people with solutions that will will come up with something. But I guess we all have to just care about our planet and uh, keep keep trucking along. Yeah, and stop thinking, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm only just little old me. And I think we all have to realize little old me can talk and push and urge, can have at least the like-minded that we all need to have to do to get this done. Thanks, pal. We'll talk to you later in the show. Thanks, guys. That's reporter Grant Hardy. He was here with the latest health news for us. Some interesting conversation pieces there. That's for sure here on the program. We do that on Wednesdays. He'll be back Friday for Lifestyle. Also, though, later on in the show, he's got what in the world for us. We will be back in two minutes. And when we return, Margaret Weldon will be highlighting Wounded Warriors Canada, an initiative offering support for veterans, first responders, and their families. Stand by, please. 
Remember, we're here live at 2 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. On the weekends, you can check out the best of Kelly and company right here on AMI-audio. Weeknights, catch us, uh, the first repeat of the program at 10 p.m. Eastern. In the morning, with breakfast, you can listen again to the show at 6 a.m. Eastern time. Appreciate whatever time you can give us on the program to take a listen and check in with all the great subjects. I'm Kelly McDonald at the Home Studio London, Ontario, at the Home Studio in Toronto, Ramya Muthen. So, nice weather, but now we're getting more normal weather at this part of, of uh, Canada. Mm. Uh, so, this is like goes back to what we were saying. This is how come I think so many of us stop and don't realize, well, last week was unusually warm. Ah, that's just a fluke. You know, these are yeah, some of those things that we have to. <laughs> we're, honestly... we're seeing record high temperatures and record yeah. high lengths of seasons, and I, I can't believe that year after year, some of some of our still default reaction. And I'm in this; I'm putting myself in it as well. Is to just be like, oh yeah, that's strange. No, Seven years mm-hmm. in a row, mm-hmm. and then we just exactly. figure, oh well, that means next year is going to be a bear of a year. Oh my gosh, it'll be so right. cold in the winter. It'll make up for it, <laughs> folks. Let's get in the know. With Margaret Weldon. Life's continuing changes can lead to a lot of questions. Join me, Margaret Weldon, to get your answers, and then you too will be in the know. When we hear about tragic uh, situations, such as a veteran being killed during a mission, or a first responder getting injured or killed in the line of duty, we often focus on the support programs that are available for them. Today, we're going to look at some new support programs that are out there and available for veterans and first responders, as well as their families. Also, really, really important piece. Margaret, welcome back. You want to get into explaining to us first off, we'll start, what is Wounded Warriors Canada? Now, I have to tell you, I I, uh, struggled with this because I was going to do this for my next segment, but I just thought with events um, being as they they were... with the um, police and their families. I thought this might be a great one because Wounded Warriors um, is a very unique initiative where uh, they have developed programs which are managed uh, by by clinical professionals um, and they help people deal with their veterans and their families as well as civilian, as well as, sorry, first responders and their families too, deal with stressful situations, things that happen on the job and, and how to deal with them and how to relate to other people and, you know, their family members as well. And uh, these are specialized programs because we can only imagine what goes on after a tragedy has happened, right? We can't really sit there and say we understand because the fact is we really don't understand because it's a whole different thing. So this is kind of like a specialized initiative for uh, first responders. And veterans. Yeah, and of course, there is the initial support and then the ongoingness of what needs to be, um, you know, dealt with perhaps for some people for a very, very long time after dealing with, uh, you know, war or first response. It's very important, as you're saying. So, besides veterans and first responders, what other family members are qualified to receive assistance or participate in the programs that you're going to mention? The uh, spouses or partners, their children, um, even those even those families where uh, you know parents have grown up children who are uh, veterans or first responders, even in laws and you know siblings of veterans and first responders. So pretty much any family member um, can uh, can participate in a program. 
it's so it's so important, Margaret, and I know it's it's hard for people sometimes for for all of us to even con- contextualize it. I'm using that word again in understanding kind of what w- where people are, where where what they're going through, where they've you know where they've been. Um, for those listeners who are not familiar really with first responder, those that 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 term or veteran, um, can we get you know can we get a little bit of a definition? What is the difference? Sure, that's a, that's a great question. Now, I may I, before I give these definitions, I want to say that um, all of the services are equally as important to communities and and to people out there. So, veterans refer to um, individuals who have been in, say, like the army, marines, uh, military, and they often go to wars or fight peacekeeping missions. Although their roles are changing over time, for example, um, you know, they were deployed during the pandemic to hospitals when uh, doctors or nurses were, I guess, running short. Um, they also help with uh, hurricane situations, you know, taking people out of dis- uh, dangerous situations or maybe helping cleaning up after dangerous situations. So things like that. First responders refer to um, professionals like our paramedics, you know, that come in the ambulances to help people or to fire people or police officers or people like that. But both professions are, are like both groups of people are just as important to communities. Mm-hmm. And like you said, face just as much um, in those professions that we need to be aware of in order to have these specialized uh, initiatives supported and, you know, opened up and valued. So is Wounded Warriors Canada, do they provide any programming for employers or employees? As a matter of fact, they do. And it's called um, traumatic exposure management. Because what often happens is, and I guess they've documented this over time, that when something happens to, and it's mainly actually, and and, and I guess this is the the, um, thing that I didn't realize, but I guess when something happens to somebody's colleague, um, is is often when a lot of anger or guilt comes out because the colleague gets killed or has the has his or her life changed forever, while the other person still can go on every day, you know, right. getting up and doing his or her daily routines. And oftentimes, a group of people feel that way, and they start to express anger at themselves towards each other, or you know, and when the colleague comes back, like the colleague may not have that sort of stress. I mean, it, it you know, that colleague has obviously gone through different stress, but and maybe has has different duties when they come back, right? So basically, this group um, gets people to talk about how they felt about the traumatic um, experience and how they're dealing with it, and it's okay. It's not going to hurt anybody else, and because apparently the the immediate reaction is get the, you know, if I think about this, or if I if I don't put it out of my mind, it's going to be a danger to somebody else. So it's basically talking about it and dealing with it. You always wonder when it comes to talking about stuff, what makes us hesitate, right? Whether it's being open of how we feel being honest, because a lot of time being honest, and, and speaking it frightens ourselves or embarrasses or ashames ourselves, because well, I'm putting myself first here or this, but this is how what's happened has affected you and and I think that that there's a huge component, isn't there, Margaret? That we do have to be at, at least honest with ourselves. But a lot of times, saying it, getting it out there, somebody else might say, "Well, yeah, I feel similar, but here's how I feel how it affects me." That's right, exactly. Yeah, and 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 then you know you can kind of compare. Well, what do you do to deal with it, or what do you do to yeah kind of get yourself you know through something because. 
I think no matter what the experience is, whether it's a joyous experience or, you know, a, a, a sad experience, like everybody has different feelings about it. And different ways um, that they're going to manage that and have to manage it or whether right. they are, are outwardly reacting or, or if it goes inward. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, and then you've got to say, okay, so how do I respond to what I'm feeling? You know, is it okay to have a bad day? Do I ride it through or do I just pretend that I'm not having a bad day or, you know, yeah. it, it just depends. Yeah. Where it gets tough is dealing with children. So what kind of programs are available for children? There are a lot of programs. Um, the children can have one-on-one -on -one counseling if they want, but two um, unique new programs that have come out for children have come out in formats. They're called the uh, Wounded Warriors uh, Children of Canada. And the first one is done on Zoom, and it's a six-week program, and it involves children from 8 to 16 years of age where they talk about their, you know, what, what's going on at home because often they have one or both parents who have gone through a traumatic situation and they're feeling traumatic, express, you know, um, stress. And the children need to understand how to relate to them. They need to understand that, listen, if mom or dad are angry today, it's not your fault. You know, um, if mom and dad can't go to a school event or a family event, but, you know, you're going on your own or a sporting right. event that you're, it's not your fault. Yeah. So. These activities teach children basically how to relate with their parents. And they and this Zoom program um, is, is a six-week program. And they're also given booklets to work with and activities and things to do too, right, with their families as well as on their own. Um, and the other program is a camp program where children are taken away for a weekend where they can meet each other after the group is done. And they're specially designed activities that are fun, but also teach them how to deal with emotions and talk about emotions freely and communicate with other kids who are going through the same uh, problems and, and the same things too. Yeah. You learn so much finding or just talking to someone else. And it's just, even if you don't get into the conversation of, well, my dad, this is what's going on. And it upsets me because especially for a child, you don't, you don't know what to say. You don't know. And you don't necessarily want to share things at home you just want to have fun you want to play and even if it's just that moment a comment or just knowing the, the others have situations of their own the same we're, we're bonded that way even if it's never talked about it helps that's right they, that, that's right you know or even the silly things you can laugh at yes you know um mm -hmm. i mean i mean look look at all of us the the things that we can always laugh at now i mean it doesn't compare to to the to, to the post-traumatic stress stress please don't get me wrong there but even the things that we do as blind people, you know? Well, and I think we we wonder often when we, how real is things that people joke about from, you know, whether it's they're involved in a war, been, have done military service, or first responders that have seen some, you know, pretty upsetting stuff. But we always say you have to kind of find that way of uh, leveling and, and that, or yeah. you won't be able to do what you do. So what we might overhear might seem like, what the heck? How can you be sitting there calmly eating a donut or doing this and that? But yet we have the same issues of, you know, banging, even if it's darn well, banging our shin going, you know, going out of a movie theater because someone leaves a seat down. We're so used to bumping. It's part of your life. And again, like you said, Margaret, not trying to compare bumping your shin on a seat versus, you know, versus a post-traumatic stress. But it is what you are used to, what you kind of deal with and everyone has and there are those different things that, that I guess are more equivalent. 
That's right. That's right. And I think post-traumatic stress is something that, I mean, it's, it's becoming more and more familiar every day, sadly, but it's something that I think is, is still a fairly new field, you know, just like a mental health um, situation is still a fairly new field as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Acknowledgement. Right. I, yeah. Right. And, yeah. and I think we're, we're all, I mean, I, I listened to Grant in his last segment, you know, talking about the, the doctor and, and the hospital and, and, you know, things that we have to be aware of in hospitals. But this is something we're all learning together. Right? It, it, it all just kind of comes back in, in one full circle. We're all learning together. And just trying to follow the lead, like of, right. of who we believe or perceive is going through an experience. We follow their lead instead of trying to make people feel better or solve things like that. It, it, we just mm-hmm. try to follow the lead, try to understand and be open. Or sometimes it's just knowing when you've had enough. You know, like when you've heard enough about something and, and you, and as you say, Kelly, you've got to get away from it for a while, you know, whether, whether it's, it's listening to something else, whether it's, you know, doing something different for the day. Like we all have those days, right. Where you just have a, like, you just like, okay, I can't do it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, especially stepping away from something to give yourself some time and to process and also to not feel so overwhelmed that that is the only uh, thing that's around. Margaret, before we let you go, where do we go to learn more about the organization? You can go to info at woundedwarriors.ca. And, uh, and, and the, the uh, website is extremely accessible. Um, they've even got a, a, a examples of activities and different th- things on there. So, you know, yeah. even things that we can use to deal with our own post-traumatic, you know, our own stress and things. So and we, like, it's we know. worthwhile. And we know definitely for all of us just to learn, just to try to understand um, and, and empathize as much as we can. This is, this is really important for all of us. Thanks, Megs. That's right. Have a good show, guys. Thank you. Margaret Weldon joins us every other Wednesday for In the Know right here on Kelly and Company. Coming up next, we learn more about Face Equality International, an alliance of worldwide NGOs devoted to ensuring the facial difference community can live freely without indignity or discrimination. We're going to have a very important conversation again, folks, next here on Kelly and Company. Welcome back to the program. It's Kelly and Company. Kelly McDonald here. Ramya Muthan. She's at the home studio in Toronto. I'm here in London, Ontario. We appreciate wherever you are listening in around the world, maybe on TuneIn Radio or OO Tunes or Radio Player Canada. Awesome apps, I might add, in which to listen to AMI audio. We appreciate however you're doing it, you joining us. But remember, take in the show as well via the podcast. Simply subscribe using your favorite podcatcher, listen to the show in segment form, or the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience. Available to you on your favorite podcast platform. As mentioned, Ramya Muthan, and I'm Kelly McDonald. We have lots of talk of initiatives on today's show, Kells, and this next one is called Face Equality International. Face Equality International is an alliance of worldwide NGOs devoted to ensuring that the facial difference community can live freely without indignity or discrimination. And we're going to be speaking with Chief Executive Officer Phyllida Swift to talk more about this organization and raise awareness about how people present themselves 
on Halloween as it's around the corner. Philida, thank you for making some time on Kelly and Company. Thanks so much for having me. So we want some background first off uh, on Face Equality International and why you got into this kind of work yourself. Sure. Um, So yeah, Face Equality International is first and foremost an alliance. As you said, we have a membership of other not-for-profits. Some of the better known ones are the likes of Smile Train, um, who deliver cleft lip and palate surgeries around the world. Um, And we have all of our members working directly with the facial difference community. Sometimes people like to use the term disfigurement. They provide Mm -hmm. um, perhaps surgical interventions, Versus what we do together is capacity build for them to campaign against discrimination, stigma, um, and to remove the barriers in life for people with facial differences. So it's particularly kind of pertinent to me because I myself have significant facial scarring, um, which I sustained in a car accident back in 2015. Um, So this is a cause that's really close to my heart. Okay. Well, that's really great. Thank you for sharing that with us. Now, let's talk about Halloween. As I said, it's around the corner and it can be a difficult holiday for people who identify as having a facial difference. Why is that? So all too often, similarly to what we see on screen, like in Hollywood, is facial scarring, facial disfigurements are used as a device to invoke fear to tell the viewer that we are not to be trusted. Um, And we so often see from masks to special effects makeup, um, lining the supermarket shelves at this time of year. And what's really hurtful for the community is that we are continuing to tell future generations, young people, that our faces are something to be feared. Um, And it's a false narrative. Um, it's it's ableist, it's faceist, as we would say, and it's it's dated and it shouldn't be done anymore. And it's having profoundly negative impacts on the community because we see this carries on into adult life. We see discrimination on a daily basis. We see bullying where people are compared to and taunted with characters and told, you look like the Joker, you look like Freddy Krueger. Mm. And these are all slurs that carry through into into real life. And, you know, I really appreciate you saying that it's dated. We need to move on. So not necessarily that, you know, it, 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 it wasn't around. Like, we understand that it was around. But this thought process doesn't work anymore. Um, and we have so much diversity to consider and be conscious of. So... As you said, there's all these villains in pop culture um, with scars or other kinds of facial differences that are portrayed this way that you're talking about in this negative, demeaning uh, way. Why are the writers, do you think, the Hollywood writers and others, so stuck on this kind of plot device? And, um, you know, you already mentioned how it affects audiences, but maybe let's talk about why that is, that we're not moving away as, as fluidly as we should be. Yeah, I guess it's a lazy visual cue, isn't it? And when we've kind of actively engaged with directors, producers, sometimes there's been a bit of kind of engagement. So there was the Witches film a couple of years ago, um, the remake which featured Anne Hathaway um, and Warner Brothers. They both published 
you know, public statements apologizing for replicating limb differences in the witches Mm. um, because that caused great offense to the disability community. What they failed to recognize was that the witches also had alopecia and facial scarring. That wasn't really in any of the discourse around this. And I do think that sometimes there's a distinction between disability and facial difference. I think the world is hopefully waking up to realize you know, we want to see disabled people playing disabled roles. We don't want to see disabled people in those archaic kind of stereotyped roles on screen where they are right. othered, where they are less than. But sadly, I don't yet think it fully extends to facial difference. And yet stop and, you know, wonder why. And as as two people with vision impairments, obviously, uh, I can't see enough to notice certain things. I, I only go by, obviously, what I hear, what is said, and I, I've been, always been aware of characters created. Um, even as a fan of radio dramas, you know, you'll still get that depiction of the character and description and, and stuff like that. And you say, well, but just because, uh, just like a blind person, you know, we, we're not all smart and running around in sunglasses and stuff. We're all individuals. It doesn't matter. So I think where it starts is having those conversations with children. We're talking Halloween. So talk a little bit about why it's important to dress responsibly and what are some fun, non-problematic costumes that you might want to recommend, these ideas that folks need. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the world has, again, woken up to the idea of you know, cultural appropriation. So using someone's culture um, as a costume, it's not appropriate. And this is also a culture. This is a community. So, you know, there are much kind of safer options. And one of the taglines that we've used previously, which is actually not that that good, is, um, you know, dress up as a character, not a condition. Right. Um, Sadly, (laughs) people still dress up as characters with conditions. Right. So it's not the most fail-safe um, tagline, but there are plenty of other things to dress up at that don't involve mimicking or mocking people's real-life experiences. And those are real-life experiences that can be difficult, that can come with pain. Yep. Um, and just donning them for a day as though it doesn't have any weight to it is 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 not appropriate any longer. I think sometimes the most painful things are when people avoid, whether it's looking, whether it's asking a question, whether it's, you know, it's empathizing by just being just being considerate, pleasant, whatever, because, you know, something about me you're awkward with or bothered. Yeah, and it's it's dehumanizing, isn't it? Very it's, much. And I think that's the that's the crux of this is that it's um it's othering. Um, people it's an othering and already othered community that just wants to be seen for their you know for being multifaceted human beings that aren't one-dimensional that aren't scary or immoral um, and we're not just a Halloween costume and we're not just a villain or a vulnerable person no how do we how do we raise that with kids? How do we get kids to, to be aware that people with facial differences are just like anybody else, uh, not to be feared or made fun of? How do we do it? There's lots of different ways. Um, and one of the things that we've done at Face Quality International is recognizing the natural inquisitive nature of kids that do stare and ask comments 
we've produced a parent's guide, um, which helps to, you know, guide parents through those potentially awkward encounters where they're tugging on their parents' arms saying, mommy, daddy, look at that person. Yeah, um, and instead so of pulling recommend- the child away, come away, come on. <laughs> yeah, don't look, don't look. Um, so how to enter into those um, scenarios, find common ground, you know, just have a, a, a much needed human interaction where people feel seen and heard. Um, and then another thing, I guess, is just creating that, responsibility in society from the likes of film and tv from media professionals to quit with this harmful trope um because it is having real life harmful impact on people's lives how do you feel with social media sometimes i find people rather sit home learn stuff in their own way their own time and social media has a plus side to there but we also know there's a lot of nasty attacks on social media Yeah, there's a lot of negativity, um, particularly for people with facial differences. We often see they'd rather not have a profile photo um, if they even are on social media at all. Um, And the types of abuse that is seen on a regular basis, I think it's 96% of people have seen some sort of meme um, or post that is mocking someone's appearance. And Mm. so often we see content stolen and misused for click farming kind of things like it's this person's birthday and no one's wished them a happy birthday and then it tracks through to some sort of click farming thing where they're generating likes and funds that being said it's an incredible community and it's it's such a great place to meet people that you otherwise never would have met so often we meet people who without social media never would have met someone with that same condition with that same experience um, and I do not think that social platforms yet recognize the very, again, unique experiences of the facial difference community, right. yep. where the slurs that we see, um, monster, subhuman, all of those things, they're not picked up by algorithms. They're not picked up by even human moderators. It's a real mm. problem. It is a real problem, but Philetta, this conversation is one of many great examples of um, becoming aware and becoming educated. So thank you for joining us today. And before we let you go, where can we go to learn more about Facial Equality International? Of course. Yeah. So we are across all social platforms. We've actually just launched a campaign on TikTok, um, but we also have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, and we try to make our content as accessible as possible, but please do always tell us to do better where we can. <laughs> Thank um, you. So we are at faceequalityinternational.org and then our handles are faceequalityint. So that's faceequalityint. Well, thank you. We're out of time, but there's so much more we could have talked about and I hope we get you back on to chat more. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. We were speaking with Philetta Swift from Face Equality International talking about uh, Halloween and how we can raise awareness of facial differences in Halloween and portraying things responsibly. In the second hour of the program, we'll flip through some quirky stories from around the globe with Grant Hardy on What in the World. But up next, to get our hour started, Bill Shackleton with The Buzz.
of course, we mean you when we say thank you for hanging out with us wherever you are. Appreciate the time as we're here weekdays with two the means. The man himself arrives as he buzzes. Oh, yes, as he sort of uh, looked at your uh, lineup here. Where do you want to start? Well, I'm going to start with this one from Japan. It's it's very interesting. Japan steps up push to get public to buy into digital IDs coming from the Associated Press. So you would think, or you might think, that as technical technologically as advanced as Japan is, that they wouldn't have a problem buying into this digital technology. But apparently, the government is introducing a digital ID. And they're basically saying that if you don't buy into that, you might lose your health, you might lose your health insurance. So this isn't sitting very well. Now you got to So you're really not given a choice if you look at it this way. It's you might lose it. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think basically this they're, they're going to say they're going to you're going, probably going to lose it. Um, and although they said you might lose it. Um, but you know, you got to go back to the you know, Japan is a country where traditions really die hard and they are afraid of these cards, they're afraid that you know they the government could link them to your to their uh, their driver's license. They're afraid that basically there's privacy issues that the that they're afraid of, and basically this goes back to World War II when the government usurped power, and traditions are like in in Japan most businesses are done with fax machines. Most most businesses are done in person. And most businesses, when it comes to transactions, they use cash. So basically proponents are saying, well, why are we changing the rules when the old ways work? Yeah. yeah. So it's it's kind of, it's, it's interesting what's, I mean, I, I think as you do and I do that they're going to have to buy it sooner or later. They're going to have to buy into this. Well, you're going to have to, and again, I always think, what is the downfall, right? And always loss of whatever, but when you, and stealing identity. Um, Yeah. The chances of someone stealing your identity in our world now happens whether you buy into this thought or carrying your ID around uh, in a hard copy form. So we're not escaping that. We are, you know, loss. Okay. So then I have to go through the steps of replacing it. How long does that take? Um, I would love to know answers to certain things like that. Like if you lose your social insurance card or, you know, or um, your, your ID that you have, um, it takes a while to, to get it replaced. If this means stepping that up, I've lost it. How do I show you? Okay, here's my birth certificate. Is that in a hard copy form? Okay, you know, z- 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 we heard your ID again. If it If things could speed up processes like that, I don't know what we can do other than what we're trying to do now security-wise to keep identity theft down and and gone. So that's that work in progress and always will be because it's like the chess game, for forever chess game, whatever move you make, the thieves are going to make another. So I I think, Bill, as a person who would love to just be able to whip out my phone, well, this is me, and be able to access the pages I need because of accessibility uh, with my software, that's awesome. 
Um, I'm not sure I, I, I have this whole, oh, it needs to be done now. We need to move on. But obviously Japan seems to be. Hmm. Yeah, they, they, I wonder why that is too. Like why certain places around the world are just. I think population. Adamant. A population, but also is there a technological reputation that you need to keep up with? You know, mm. like there's like we were just we're on the tail end of talking about um, after Steve, Steve like the, yeah. the book on Apple. Yeah. And how you know Apple was determined to be 10 steps ahead of the game. Like they were thinking of technology that, you know, only 10 years later, we were like, oh, yeah, this is normal now. Well, and they right? were thinking but of this, like, their wallet and everything is all this. This absolutely. is what I'm Apple, sure Apple, Apple believed. Yeah. When Apple yeah. Pay came out, nobody fathomed tapping number one and number two uh you know not being able to carry your wallet outside let alone your phone and just being able to put your wrist on the, th- the machine you know what i mean like and so maybe we get caught up with is this okay is this not okay but in other creators minds innovators minds it's this is the only step forward we cannot be having paper ids well and and other parts of the world um, where population is bigger, where technology is really, you know, China, the Japan, there's a lot of places like that where this is for sure to them, this is a no-brainer. And wallet and everything was exactly. first launched to have, to house all your ID. That's why well, it's know, called you, wallet. Yeah. You wonder, is the technology that the Japanese are going to be using to, to do this, I'm, I, I mean, it sounds like are they, are, they, are they new to this? And if so, maybe that's the reason why. See, I don't think so. I don't think it's state secret. It's just a country saying this is just sort of like the the hard line that is it New Zealand is taking about smoking. It's a country deciding we're doing this, and and some places and decide. And we only know of it after it's out. After we after they're ready for us to know, but before that of. This could have been in the works for years. We don't know how ahead of the game they are. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I'm anxious. to. Well, I shouldn't say I'm anxious to see how this goes because it will go. And in the years to come, it'll just be, well, of course we're doing it this way. Like it'll mm-hmm, be, mm-hmm. you know, this is a little resistant because we're always resistant to something new. But this is totally foreseen, in my opinion. And I think so. Coming soon here. What's next, sir? What's next? Um... Musicians worry for livelihood after CBC contract ends with Sirius XM. So basically what's happened is the Sirius XM will no longer be carrying CBC um, music. So here's what we're going to lose. Um, Radio 3 Classics, CBC Country, ICI, Music Franco Country, ICI and music chansons. So basically, and I wasn't able to find out why the contract is going, but musicians are very concerned because the, the they get paid apparently $44 um, every time a song is played. And the concern is that, that, that a lot of these young musicians, you know, they won't be able to afford tours because, you know, they're going to, they're not going to get this revenue. Now they did say that they were going to replace it with something, but they didn't say what it yeah. was. Yeah, of course they are. There's something that afoot that they're they're pleased with. I mean, 
I love the fact that there's a, a lot of Canadian with this, and this is what these artists are saying. Like, I, I feel sorry for any route that artists are losing stuff, of course, but, uh, you know, you, you don't want to see that, and you want people paid f- deservedly for what they do. Um, it's interesting, and, and I think this is where you'll get the argument, depending what you're replacing it with. Yeah. Um, if it's another resource, and- another outlet, I have no idea what that would be, where you would where these artists wouldn't feel such a loss because it's, you know, even to have the public broadcaster in such a, a fashion in that way, so much of it removed, you just wonder what's going on there. And again, I know some would say, yeah, but CBC has a lot of other resources paid for by the taxpayers of the country to, to be out there. So maybe we need to make way for certain other um, outlets to get showcased there and to showcase music. Well, the interesting thing is that they don't, you know, compared to what they would get with Spotify and Apple Music, who apparently pays peanuts, this was Uh, a big... Spotify, Apple Music, all the streaming services, it's ridiculous. It's like a couple cents. That's right. That's right. Maybe a couple dollars. I don't know. Don't no, I, I think you're. I think you're right more it's, with. It's the, honestly ridiculous. It low, is. Though. It's. It's. It's really low. Even radio play. Even what you just said about the forty-four dollar, but like maybe stop it. Really? You know, yeah. like that's that's what. But that's but, significantly higher. Yeah, and they'll argue the those streamers. Well, yeah, but people won't pay for it otherwise, and we have to have a subscription base, which is what SiriusXM is. So yeah. Uh, yeah. the deal. This is I'm going to assume part of it. I don't know what SiriusXM's answer is. Hopefully, we hear something. Uh, maybe they go from the forty four dollars down to paying mere cents and dollars. What we're talking about with the others. It's sad though yeah, because maybe- nothing is consistent. Like, or not consistent, but there's no longevity in anything anymore. You like have we to fear. move on. Exactly, we move on from so many things so quickly that. Um, having some kind of long-term security on anything, especially if you're an artist and thinking, hey, okay, royalties is pretty much all I got. And even that uh, is changing, right? Like, it's it's hard. It is. Um, as I say, I wasn't able to find out why it was, it was mm-hmm. you know, con. Yeah, was- I don't think there's been a release to say why yet, I think. No, I don't believe so. Yeah, I think it's all more about um, why you know that it's happening. I, did you see when it's going to happen, Bill? When they're being removed? I I didn't say I didn't see when actually either. I don't believe. Yeah, it just said ending or ended or you know yeah. Yeah, I I I would all I'm surprised being our public broadcaster on on that level alone because I don't think there's enough. Well, again, reflection of CBC on there. Maybe others who are SiriusXM uh, customers will say, "No, there's plenty." Especially, you know, even even, if, especially if you're not a fan. But if you're a fan of CBC uh, and those music services, you appreciate them. Yeah, you know, there's especially also. I have to wonder about um, our French, our Franco, you know, mu- you know, music where you you have your your representation and you need it because that's a huge outlet. And those are the people who don't have as many outlets that, that as other artists do. And, and no artist should be getting cheated as, as Ramya was saying. Right. Thanks, Billy. Thanks a lot. The man does it Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, right here at the top of our second hour. We call it the buzz. He joins us. He brings a few items to talk about. Interesting stuff today, right there. And, uh, yeah, the Sirius XM one really makes me curious just because you, you, things are ever-changing. And like you said, Ramya, people, you can never count on it staying the same. Mm. You can't count on the support or, or one would argue, loyalty. Mm, Folks, in a moment, 
What's that? You'll be one-upped by somebody yeah, somewhere. By somebody. There'll be always some other offer of, hey, we can put music out there cheaper. Don't want to accuse Sirius of that. They'll, they'll let us know what <laughs> the deal is sooner or later. We uh, listen back to an employment conversation from our archives with Alicia Yardley next. I think some people would say that we're picking a little bit on uh, certainly Spotify over there a little bit and uh, SiriusXM. No, no intention to, folks. Just those are the realities, right? Mm-hmm. And we're, we're not speaking definites because we don't have those. So not off the top of our head. Can you look it up? Well, sure you can. And yeah, if those interested will do so. But uh, it's, it's just always sad when I, I don't want to say when change happens. I don't mean change is the loose change people get on Spotify or, or from Apple Music or whatever um, as artists. I, I I simply mean just you sit back, you, you enjoy something, you think, hey, man, this is great. But uh, they're a business lining things up to do things, as, as Billy was mentioning, um, and have their reasons, too. Just I always love the transparency. Tell us why. Yeah, tell us why, but it's almost like they presume they don't need to. Yeah, There's a better well, offer somewhere. I always think that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always think that's the way we don't need to say, you know, what we're, what we're doing here. Mm. Folks, we want to talk to you a little bit about on this next segment. And uh, Alicia Yardley couldn't be with us uh, to do this. She, she did this a while back, so we thought we'd dive into the archives. Let's talk a little bit about who's responsible for health and safety in the workplace. We aired this on June 22nd. We're joined by Alicia Yardley from AMI's uh, Human Resources Development Department to uh, talk employment. And today we're going to talk a little health and safety in the workplace. Welcome back, Alicia. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, I am happy to be inside where there's air conditioner because it's about 30 degrees outside and it's boiling. (laughs) I used to feel... Well, like I always thought it was interesting, you know, and unfortunately when we'd overload the system and uh, hydro would go out and, and you'd find people back, you know, in the old days, they used to go out and turn on the, you know, the water plug or what, as they called it back in like the 30s and 40s, the hydrant, you know, they they had the people had the big um, wrenches to be able to loosen them up. The fire department's done so much now, so you can't do that. But you get people running around in water, running the sprinklers, everything like that, that they could do. But you don't really see a lot of that now. I think people do the sprinklers thing in their yards or, or put the hose on. But it's, it's one of those things that because we generally are pretty good in our system, are all right you don't get a lot of that i never did any of that i did no I'll, I'll just stay hot thanks no exactly i you know what i was so tempted i was out on my lunch walk i thought about running through a sprinkler on the street but i, <laughs> I thought better of it now you're liable to get get off my property and whatever dog bro, bro, get out of there rummy and her dog be chasing you right that off the property not, i would definitely <laughs> run it Ru- rummy i wonder it. if your dog will guide you through one of those one day you'll be walking where are you going anyway Hey. Not guide, but he has walked through and not cared and so assumed that I wouldn't care either, which is a wrong assumption. Aren't you hot wrong. too? Hi, man. You must be hot. <laughs> um, Alicia, let's talk about health and safety in the workplace, and that doesn't include running through sprinklers because, you know, we better not have them in the workplace. You might slip. Um, who handles all that concerns at the workplace? 
So um, in terms of health and safety, um, health and safety is one of those things that is, you know, very much overlooked in a lot of workplaces. When you're working in an office, you kind of just assume, well, it's you know, it's going to be safe. It's an office. But there are things to take into account, you know, from an accessibility perspective, right. from a chemical perspective. So really, everybody's responsible for health and safety in the workplace. That's sort of the long story short. Um, employees have a right to, you know, do certain things. And I'll get into that. But, you know, they're responsible for making sure that, you know, there aren't hazards in their area. And if they do see hazards to report them, um, the employer is largely responsible. So the organization, we want to make sure that where you're working is healthy, safe. Um, you know, we're not having people getting hurt. Um, and managers as well. So I, I would say it's sort of everybody's responsibility. Of course, the organization has the lion's share of the responsibility, though. Yeah, exactly. So we all take a, a bit of accountability for our own parts, but um, there is a, you know, like process, right, to make sure that people are being safe. So can we talk about that? Is there anything else you wanted to say, by the way, before we move into the Health and Safety Committee? Yeah, just, um, you know, in terms of responsibility for health and safety, um, a lot of organizations will have a health and safety committee that's made up of employer or managers um, and employees so that, you know, people can collaborate to make the office environment or whatever environment you're in a healthy and safe place to work. So, um, yeah, happy to talk a little bit about health and safety committees. Um, okay. Yeah, in terms of, you know, health and safety committee, um, what they do is they work together um, to do inspections of the workplace, um, usually once a month. They walk around, they look at any hazards that might be around. Um, so, for example, like paper on a radiator. Um, you know, if there are any wires out that somebody could trip over. Um, let's say there are there's poor lighting um, or maybe the air conditioner's out in one area and it's the middle of a heat wave and you're really hot and uncomfortable. So those are all things that the health and safety committee can deal with. They would do inspections, make sure that, you know, the workplace is safe. Um, a health and safety committee meets about once once a month, really. Um, uh, we want to make sure that we're having at least nine meetings a year. Um, it's headed up usually by an employee, but then there are members of management and um, usually like an executive, just so that everybody's represented. And they talk about health and safety concerns, um, bring up any new business. Um, let's say, God forbid, there's a, you know an accident or an incident in the workplace. Um, they'll bring that up to the floor. Um, you know, during COVID, the Health and Safety Committee talked a lot about, you know, what what masks are we going to get? What gloves mm -hmm. are we going to get? How are we going to make sure that the employees are, you know, that they're safe, um, you know, with employees that are working remotely? How do we make sure that their environment is healthy and safe? So that's those are some of the things a health and safety committee does. Um, a health and safety committee member um, you know, you do require special training, um, but that should be provided by the organization if that's something that you're interested in, um, you know, and, and, and it provides you a really good base on what exactly a committee does and, and what um, you might be responsible for on the health and safety committee and, and how you can contribute. So I just want to double back on finding cord uh, running from my desk and the committee is doing its uh, monthly a check of the of the facility 
mm-hmm. record there. Is part of that training to let me know whether it's an email, whether it's, hey, hey, Cal, you got this cord here. It could be a dangerous thing. How how are those things navigated or what would, would one expect that your health and safety committee might do running into that or a dripping air conditioner where there's a slipping hazard? Yeah, so they would they would definitely raise it with the employees. So, you know, for example, um, before the pandemic, we were doing those monthly inspections and, you know, there were... Uh, certain people that were putting paper on uh, the radiators near the back of offices. So it's just kind of like quickly saying, hey, you've got some paper back there. Could be a fire hazard. Can you just move that? Or I see a wire here. Can you just, you know, deal with that? Can you get it out of the way? Um, If, you know, for example, we need signage somewhere, um, you know, saying there's a wet floor or, you know, sending out maybe an all staff communication to let people know that, you know, hey, there's a slipping hazard over here so that people are aware of it. Um, That that's definitely something that you would want to report. And and the Health and Safety Committee would um, look out for that. Um, But while they're doing the inspections, it should be a really an informal like, hey, just FYI, can you please move this or do that? Okay. so what rights do employees have with health and safety? So there are really three basic rights um, that employees have, and it's the right to know about hazards in the workplace. Um, So let's say, for example, we're working with, you know, a certain chemical, Um, employees have the right to know what those chemical properties are, what they could do, or let's say you're in a very loud, um, you know, room where there's a lot of like, you know, fans blowing, um, you know, letting people know sort of what any hazards might be. Um, They also have the right to participate in identifying hazards and um, health and safety. So um, they have the right to serve on a health and safety committee, to participate in inspections, to um, go and report anything that they feel is unsafe. Um, And then the final one is that employees have the right to um, refuse unsafe work. So, um, you know, if your boss is asking you to do something, you don't think it's safe, then um, you do have the right to refuse to do that um, if there's enough sort of reasoning as to why um, you're refusing to do it. And how do we approach that, Alicia? I mean, sometimes uh, there there might be some awkwardness or, you know, particular circumstances for people where it, it feels, <laughs> I want to say it feels unsafe to say to refuse this unsafe thing. So um, how would you recommend or are there ways to approach that? Yeah. Um, well, legally, um, you know, you absolutely do not have to do anything that you would feel is, you know, a hazard. It, You know, and I'm not talking about circumstances where, you know, it's like, uh, Alicia, can you please you know, go and do an inspection. Well, I don't feel like it. Therefore, I'm just going to say that it's unsafe for me to go about and do it. Um, like it has, there actually has to be a reason. So, you know, if if I'm asked to operate a machine that I know isn't safe or I'm not fully trained on it, um, or if I'm asked to, you know, drive a vehicle that, you know, I've never driven before and I'm just, you know, I'm worried about getting into an accident. Those are the kinds of things you would, approach your boss about. I know it can be awkward. Um, You can also go through, um, you know, HR because that's what we're here for. Um, And then what we would do is um, the health and safety committee would do an inspection just to look at the hazard. um, And then they would determine whether 
um, the work refusal is sort of justified, um, and then they would come up with recommendations on how to eliminate the hazard so that the employee can um, do the work. Um, if it's, you know, an accommodation issue, of course, then there is that right, you know, you, we, you have the right to request accommodation and employers have that obligation to accommodate as well. So if it's, you know, for example, um, somebody who has lower vision or, you know, might not feel comfortable doing certain things, then you would ask for accommodation. Um, but that's not really work refusal. That's more asking for accommodation. Um, so yeah, with a work refusal, that's really what, um, how we would go about it. You, you report it, um, HR or the Health and Safety Committee will get involved and, and do that inspection. And um, then it can even escalate up to like the ministry or a representative from the Canada Labour Program. Um, but that's like preliminarily, you would want to just report it. Okay. We need to get ourselves to understand and know, um, you know, about health and safety. So how do I find out more about health and safety? Yeah, so that's a great, great question. Um, your organizations like HR department would know a lot. Um, I always recommend that people join a health and safety committee um, at their current work. I think it's a really great tool. Um, it gets you empowered. It gets you involved in in working together on health and safety, making sure that it's a you know that you're kind of participating in making the organization safe and healthy and a great place to work. Um, if you're interested in reading, you know, a guide to, for example, the Canada Labour Code, um, you know, you could definitely do that on the Government of Canada website or the Occupational Health and Safety Acts in your local province. Um, you know, there are lots of ways you can learn more, but I think the first step would be to talk to your company's HR department, maybe look into joining a health and safety committee. Um, it's a really great way to get involved. That's nice. Um... I just think it's so great to people to be able to, you know, keep that eye, have have that eye going around the company. But I'm sure there are those times, Alicia, where, I, I you know, you find something and that and you say, hey, you, you guys need to move that. That could be a hazard. And sometimes there are those areas you run into where they say, well, but the problem is we need this here. This is the only place for this piece of equipment or this thing. And there must be some of that. I don't want to say negotiating, but everyone trying to figure it out together uh, how this could be done or how can the area be made safer for anyone, whether it's, a, you know, signs or a blocking it with another piece of furniture or the area. Do, do those kinds of conversations happen with the, the, the team as well? Of course. I think those are incredibly important conversations. Um, you know, I, and I think, you know, for anybody, like health and safety isn't a stagnant thing, like because you know, health and safety legislation's changing all the time. And we've learned that over the last two years. Um, you know, we weren't thinking about PPE necessarily. Um, you know, legislation's always changing. We've got to keep updated, um, you know, empowering ourselves, learning about, you know, what makes an organization um, healthy and safe. Um, and so it's, you know, it's always something HR is working on and, and health and safety. The health and safety committee can be a part of that conversation as well. Awesome. Really nice. Thank you, Alicia. Appreciate it. Great stuff to no, think about and learn you. about. Yeah, appreciate it very much. I was from June 22nd, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, of course, uh, who's responsible for health and safety in the workplace? Uh, she'll be back on the 4th Wednesday of the month to chat employment with us here on Kelly and Company. Up next, let's flip through some quirky stories from around the globe with reporter Grant Hardy.
Kelly and Company can be found right from your TV. Shaw Direct Advance Channel 825 and Source Cable Customers. Guys, you can find us over on Channel 110. Visit AMI.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area in which to find Kelly and Company 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern weekdays right here on AMI-audio. Ramya Amuthan, Kelly McDonald, hosts of the show, and we'd like to welcome back. He was on with us earlier to deliver some health headlines to us, but now he's gone into the closet and switched hats on us again. Good heavens, Hardy, you make us dizzy with all these, these gee, lifestyle, health, and now what in the world? <laughs> welcome back. I'm, I'm keeping you guys on your toes, I guess. For sure. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, Want to apologize for the quality today. My phone is acting a little quirky, but you know what? It's all good because we're talking airlines and that's super quirky and phones are super quirky on an airplane. So it kind of fits. <laughs> anyway. True. Um, <laughs> uh, starting with an article from NPR today, guys, for Clark, the bald ego, eagle, sorry, Going through TSA lines is all in a day's work. So Clark is a flying ambassador of World Bird Sanctuary in South St. Louis. The scales on his talons never developed properly, and he would eventually get pneumonia and die if he were to hunt in the wild, uh, the nonprofit's executive director, Don Grifford, told NPR over the phone. So Grifford said Clark's job is to spread a message about conservation and raise money to support the sanctuary. He does this by attending events to fly to songs like the Star Spangled Banner or You Raise Me Up. And Grifford said that Clark is hired to fly between four to six times a year. Over the course of 12 years, this frequent flyer has taken more than 100 commercial flights. Now, eagles might not have shoes or belts or bags removed but they have their own version of being patted down by the tsa because of course they do a tsa search of a bald eagle involves investigating its crate and under the carpet inside it people at airports often want to touch or see clark and his stewards have to deny their request to stick their fingers through the window in his crate but he says most people are uh, respectful. Uh, Southwest Airlines actually lets Clark travel in the main cabin, but other airlines don't allow this. He had to uh, fly cargo a few times, and at least in one case, they lost him. <gasps> and uh, he tends to get his own hotel room, which I think... <laughs> That's can fair. I, can I... Like, can I get? I mean, I'm not an eagle, but I kind of want this gig. It sounds pretty sweet. I wonder um, how much, how, like you know, if they leave him alone, how, let him have his time, come in, feed, or if there's always you know staff coming in. I got to get up all these seeds he keeps throwing around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, apparently he actually uh, they claim anyway he likes to watch cartoons and stuff in his hotel room. So he sounds like a pretty intelligent. Well. Bald eagles are pretty intelligent, I would chill, think. Too. Mm. Very chill. Very chill. Um, okay, let's see here. I have another story about airlines. I hope I'm saying this correctly. Lufthansa, a German airline, is banning flyers from using Apple 
air tags to track baggage. This is from the Daily Hive. Um, <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. Well, but I well, just realized on. that's a genius idea. And oh you also God. know so, this is one of those airlines where the eagle wouldn't be allowed to sit up front. <laughs> so you won't believe why they're banning the air tags. So the German carrier Lufthansa has announced that it is banning its passengers from using Apple t- air tags to track their checked luggage. As flyer traffic spikes to pre-pandemic levels, airports around the world are experiencing chaos. This has led to growing instances of mismanaged or lost baggage. The lost baggage horror stories have flyers on edge doing everything they can to ensure that when they land, they know where their luggage is, especially if the airline they Mm -hmm. travel with does not. Amid the chaos, several travelers were able to locate their luggage using Apple AirTags, the device quickly became an air travel go-to. But on uh, a while ago, a few weeks ago, the airline confirmed they were banning activated Apple Air tags because they are classified as dangerous and need to be turned off. Uh, uh, yeah, according uh, to... And, and why I, is this dangerous? Yeah. What's happening? Like, but, why but are they? It would be the same as having phones on when people when they're you know taking off and things like that. This is what I <sighs> think they're trying to sell. I have no idea. Um, you know, yes. techno- if that's Something so true. Do better with our luggage, please. I I'm think, serious. I, this is genius. I would you know, definitely fun- have done this. <laughs> it's funny because technically, I believe that the little battery in the air tags plus their ability to transmit. Uh, is um, minimum is kind of a no go on airplanes, but I mean people do it anyway. Like people yeah. carry and check computers and stuff. Yeah. I think probably like the bigger issue, honestly, is that they look bad because passengers were able to find their lost luggage, and apparently the airline is maybe relenting a little bit. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we can't I, find so your I, bag, sir. What do you mean? It's in behind I'm you. This air tag says. <laughs> I'm just saying, and I'm not going to be here arguing about the science behind the air tag and the transmission issues, blah, blah. But I'm just saying, if we have found ways to find our luggage and you as the airline were paying thousands of dollars for it, hasn't, isn't that a little like tisk tisk? We, I just, I hate ba- any, any kind of baggage trouble. Can you it use is your honestly, AirPods on a plane? Sure, yeah. You can even just yeah, put your I, airplane mod, mode on and actually use your phone these days. Like they don't tell, they don't come around telling you to turn your phones off. So totally. uh, maybe yeah, Apple will hear weird. this, then the cries <laughs> of us who love this idea of AirPods and say, "Hey, we've made this non-dangerous version of uh, AirTag. Sorry, that we can now use to can you find our the luggage." Inconvenience to the customers though that are sitting there show up. Hi, I'm ready to take my flight. Oh, 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 do you have any Air 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 Tags? Air Tags? Yeah. Uh, I, I hope yeah. I do. Right. Yeah. Hope hope someone issues one of those passive aggressive apologies. Like oh, we're so sorry that these devices work too well. We'll, exactly. we'll try and release a <laughs> yes. version that doesn't work. Uh, and you can exactly. apologize to me and uh, thank me for flying another airline. Yes, yes, exactly. <sighs> All right. Well, um, we've spent a long time on airlines, but that's we do that in real life too. Exactly. It always takes longer than expected. All right, or at least to get moving, on it. <laughs> waiting. Moving on to an article from uh, the Indian Express: Mexico City has broken the Guinness World Record for holding the largest fitness trampoline class. 
45 minute long class took place at Plaza del Plinth, a large public square located at the heart of the Mexican capital. Uh, and uh, over 3,935 people successfully participated in the record breaking class on Sunday. Initially, there were over 4,000 participants, but out of those, some were disqualified because they couldn't uh, jump for that long, complete all the activities. But the Guinness World Record people have confirmed that, yes, this I didn't know this was a thing, but apparently this is a world record. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's a very specific world record, too. Usually yeah. these world records are, right? It's they the world's longest <laughs> trampoline class is that what it is yeah well yeah. we did that outside um ami main campus once they they did the <laughs> world's largest star the largest star? fitness star? trampoline class in the world yeah so yeah. Specific. so how would you fail i wonder like yeah. how what kind of tests would you give people before you know this in the days building up to it to be sure they could go 45 oh, minutes yeah. plus bouncing oh, and be yeah. in unison with everyone else because mm. could you just imagine bouncing into someone or hitting banging like you could some people could really get hurt and if you have that many people on this thing then again i don't know how many people are if it's one big massive one or just <laughs> individual trampolines that they got and they got 3000 of them out there I, I'm not really sure of the. I, it would have to be one, wouldn't it? I wonder. But yeah, I, I would think yeah. so. Right, one massive class together. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it's just as long as it's a class and everybody kept bouncing. Like, a dan- like the old dance ones they used to do. That that those dance competitions that went like 24 hours. Mm-hmm. They used to have these things. You'd see them on old shows like Happy Days and stuff like that, and people would <laughs> would literally dance. And dance, and they'd take little breaks. They were allowed to take breaks for water and so on. So maybe it was something like that, but it sounds like it was continuous. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the idea. Is it yeah, was, uh, to set the record. Um, folks, I have one more here up my sleeve if we have time. Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this, it's not exactly newsy it's from a little while ago but kind of a long story i had to make a test call and i was looking for some test sort of numbers to call so this is from kqed an american news source believe it or not there are some interesting hotlines that have been set up there's the existential crisis hotline set up by a canada-based artist named mag rabbit the existential crisis hotline <laughs> is love it lovingly and thoughtfully designed to make you feel better about your own existence whether it's giving you a three-step program to change your outlook on life telling you to think about uh, extinction events while you take a shower or reminding you how statistically lucky you are to even be alive this hotline feels tailor-made for the world's current predicament and she even promises to return messages there's an option to leave her a message um wow there's also the oh my gosh i got a kick out of this one and it was uh just made me roar with laughter you can google if you want to find the number the Colin Oates hotline, as the UK woman's voice says when you dial this line, welcome to your emergency Colin Oates helpline. Uh, if you want to hear uh, rich girl, please press whatever to hear man eater, press another number, you get the idea. 
as the article puts it, sure, it's only a Hall & Oates song generator, but dude, this might be just the thing that inspires you to get up today and rock on. Hall & Oates. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Wow. Okay. I wasn't sure. I thought, what? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean... To make you feel, hey, good to be alive and, and kind of aware. I mean, we all need to be aware and, hey, how lucky we are and in whatever circumstance we're in, you know, we, we are lucky to be here. That's an interesting take on a line that somebody felt was needed. Yeah. I, I, this, art, this actually came out around um, COVID time. The, the author added an update later and said, like, okay, I didn't realize how long we'd actually all be in isolation. My apologies for making it sound like it was a short-term thing. (laughs) But um, yeah, I think whether you're making a test call, whether you really want to see if this artist, Meg, is going to return your message, I am very curious about this. I think I'm going to have to uh, give this a shot. Uh, Or, you know, you just want to rock out to Rich Girl, Hollow notes, or you want to test if your phone is working. Uh, wow, who knew there were just so many like random numbers you could dial to pass the time? <laughs> okay, because that's what I was thinking since the beginning of what you brought up. Because I was like, wow, there, there's a phone number for everything, it feels almost <laughs> like a throwback. <laughs> it really feels like a throwback because we're not even, you know, it's supposed to be like, oh, there's an app for everything, but actually yes. we're going now back there's to, a phone there's number a for phone everything, number. right? There's a combination. Well, hey, once you started the 10-digit dialing, there's so much more you can do in some places that right? even more. Oh, man. But it's kind of fun because, <laughs> I mean, even if you're just kind of rolling your eyes at this, it's still... There was this level of, well, if one person finds this thing amusing and then they tell their friend and they tell their friend, there's going to be people calling this number. Um, <laughs> this is in no way a comparison, but I used to call Dial a Story with the Toronto Public Library. I feel like oh, a that's lot of... really cool. Do you remember this? Yeah, like there were, I'm sure other libraries doing the same thing, other public libraries across Canada, but it was Dial a Story. And I mean... I knew I was doing it. I didn't really know other people in my age group who were doing it as well. We were kids. But then years <laughs> later, I met another person who was doing it too. So I thought about it and I was like, okay. So the library must have been getting callers because it was open for a while, like at least five years. Well, and when you think about the fact that we do that stuff with your smart speakers, well, somewhere it had exactly. to set the tone and, and all that was done. You know, when back in, you know, they, they used to have like dial a prayer and different things like that. Yeah. Um, and people calling for the time and people calling for weather. The, all these were numbers that people utilize. And, and uh, you know, some would say, well, yeah, but they're a little more important than calling to, to listen to Hall and Oates or something like that. <laughs> uh, and I get that. But on, uh, like you said, Rum, if one person calls gets that smile on their face from listening to a man eater, you know, or whatever, <laughs> like that, that makes you smile. It, it's. It is worth something. Why Hall and Oates, though? Um, yeah, that, I don't know. That's weird. Like, it's, why not Michael Jackson? Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> it's funny, too. I'm such a millennial. Uh, like, I don't know if you remember back in the days where it was like, call 555, whatever, and push this extension and hit pound or whatever. And we kind of just, like, all memorized, like, the this information. And now just trying to, like, dial a number that's not in my contacts, it's like... Yeah. Five five darn I now now your number is your name right like that it's that exercise and I'm waiting for the study that tells us how much that has hurt our 
our our minds, oh our abilities, or lends itself to a illness, like you know, to something like dementia, because you kept your mind limbered. Like I, I don't know how many phone numbers Grant years ago you might have had just in your head if you were to sit there and rattle them all off. But I know I knew numbers that were ridiculous numbers that I called a couple of times, like the utilities here in in, in London or whatever. I still knew what that number was because they back then you got numbers based on. Uh, usually a series. All right, the public utilities are going to have you know six six one one zero 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 one zero zero one one zero zero. You know so that they're all going to be associated in some way. Or radio stations all had you know call a number and whatever their little tag was. So you remembered all this stuff a lot more. <laughs> and for us especially, we had oh, these yeah. stereo systems and all kinds of stuff where it's like the menu isn't accessible, so you push like down six times and then right and then enter now everything is like well not everything it's getting much more accessible and now my brain just hurts when i have to do that and yes. i'm like oh, i can't remember things like i used to we worry right. about exercise for our bodies we need it for our brains grant awesome thank you for what in the world <laughs> all right guys take it easy Grant Hardy delivering to us some great stuff to talk about as he uh, went over things for what in the world, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back in just a couple of moments. We'll see what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and tell you a little bit about our show. We'll be right back. Well, folks, a bit more business to handle before we close off this program for today. And we'll be back assembled here at 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Thank you for being with us. On today's program, though, some of the things we like to always do at the end is refer back to a segment or two and just remind you. So when monitoring the podcast, you can go back and check the feed for that segment or maybe listen to the complete show where you can find the audio vanity card on the end. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. And we'd appreciate it if you while you're in there, maybe give us a rating and review. Ramya, any particular segment you want to give a shout out to? Oh, great conversation with our friend, um, uh, Philetta from uh, Facial Difference International and or sorry, Facial Equality International. And this conversation I thought was so meaningful. And we talk about disability representation, fair representation of people of diversity and, you know, what it means to not have fair representation. And I think that talking about facial difference was such a key insightful way of bringing that topic to the table um, as, as we reach Halloween as well, right? Talking about how people dress up and um, portraying people with facial differences in our costumes and our characters and not just us individually, but also it's all over pop culture, all over our, our villains and um, people portrayed in movies. So it's, it's still there and we want to get rid of that collectively. So this conversation lent a lot of great insight on that. I also really enjoyed, well, I say enjoyed, it really made a note in my mind that we don't extend the same as we talk about disability. And, you know, we find ourselves comparing or sometimes identifying and saying, yeah, yeah, we kind of go through that as low vision or blind people. Um, but you have a community that kind of feels mm. not a part of 
this community of disability and and or treated the same way that we are all striving to get other people to to, to look at the disability community. So there's some really interesting conversation, interesting thoughts that uh, came out there. Also, Wounded Warriors, please go check out Margaret's uh, In the Know segment today. Um, interesting topic there. A lot of uh, stuff you can go back, go to the website and, and learn about yourself uh, on there, but uh, got us thinking and especially at this time and uh, so many things going through people's minds. Paul Daniel now joins us. Uh, he's from the crew over there at Now at Day Brown. You can catch that program live at 9 a.m. in the morning or as well as a podcast. Uh, Paul, we always ask him to step in here and give us an idea what's coming up on the next edition tomorrow, the Thursday show. Paul, hello. Hello, Kelly. On tomorrow's show, Halloween is around the corner, and so we'll find out how we can make trick-or-treating more sensory-friendly on uh, Monday evening. Apple has released an update known as Mac Ventura Operating System. Stephen Scott from Double Top Canada will give us his impressions on the uh, update, and we'll talk about one of the my favorite things: the rise of online gambling, sports wagering. Not really my thing, but a thing that's impo- that's a good topic. Online sports wagering. Don Dickinson will feature an, an interesting article from Voices of the Walrus. That's interesting. Um, yeah. When you say that something, I'm kind of curious. Do you mean? Well, again, I don't want to get into. It. We don't have time to, yeah. in the same sense, and I don't want to invade your your private world. Uh, is this something no, more than you... usual, Kelly? It's okay. No, exactly. <laughs> so let's just spit it out there. Are you for it, or is this something you're kind of is at the bane it's of your easy. existence? It's oh. too easy. I think okay. it's just too easy. It's just, just too much of it. It's also the media collapsed by all time by giving us all time odds and all on, on all the games. It's just too uh, the, the relationship between media and Gambling is too is far too close in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I feel uncomfortable with that kind of thing. And it's also like I said, it's too easy. It shouldn't be anything, that easy. Paul. Yeah, here exactly. In, here in London, you can bet on when the when you predict the next uh, or the first snowfall is going to be. Yeah, that's true. That I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just, but it, uh, it shouldn't be codified by the government with the way you know making so making it so easy. I, I I have my doubts about that kind of thing. If mm. gambling is an addiction, why are we feeding it? Again, the argument can be made the same thing with alcohol. So I fully understand that in cigarette smoking. Anything, exactly. But I just think this one's this one's when we we saw coming though. Candy, anything. Well, we do know chocolate, dark chocolate with nuts. It's a little healthier. Anyway, thanks, Paul. Uh, You can catch now with Dave Brown on the air, nine a.m. in the morning. Also available as a podcast. Rumya, enjoy your evening. Have a great show tomorrow. Thank you, folks. We check in with Mike Fair and uh, learn about a new Audible drama. Act 3 of The Sandman. Do plants feel emotion? Gardener Susan Kearney shares her finding uh, findings on that question. Also on the show, we have the Thursday edition of The Buzz with Bill Shackleton. And our guest for this week's roundtable is a former AMI-TV uh, editor and great friend of the network, Mark Phoenix. He'll be with us for the roundtable. The show returns tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern time, folks. Hopefully you can join us. Have a wonderful night. I'm waving at you. Our chat on book club the other day was really something with Stephen. And I and I say that not just because we were talking about the Apple book, but the history of Apple that we got to read about this month in, in our book really made you think, at least for me, of my history with Apple, but mostly the empowerment. So 
when I first ever messed with Apple, it was years ago with an Apple IIe computer allowing me access to a computer that through software read what was on the screen, helped me create projects and play games. It was awesome as a teenager. You know, I'd see people playing the Commodore 64s and all the stuff like that and and, and could sort of lay on the floor in front of a TV and, and play certain games that were slow enough and move things around. And that was kind of cool, but barely. Fast forward, I start working with other pieces of gear, learning other operating systems and return to Apple for the iPhone which gave me such empowerment. Even after a friend of mine said, oh, you're going to have trouble, but since there's nothing tactile, you're really going to be lost on that touchscreen. <laughs> Not really sure where he got that idea because my ability to imagine simply as I started with the iPhone, a piece of paper in front of me, all right, glass paper, and everything was across, so many per, per line, so many per row. And that's how I got started. And that when I opened by tapping on any of those, it opened me to a world of that access, that empowerment, because it allowed me to do things that I didn't have to. Hey, could you come over here? Could you show me? Could you do for me this? It allowed me all sorts of things and would in future in the 10 years and plus that, that I would be utilizing that equipment. And it took me a bit because friends of mine, you know, would say to me, hey, you need a smartphone, man. And this was when they were in the early days of being able to text and stuff like that with our ancient phones. Then the smarts came and they're, hey, you need the, you need one. And I thought, you know what? I am going to get that. I don't have to go out and buy a phone, then buy software to, to, to make it speak to me, as you did in, in some of the early stuff, right? This was all in the package, which to me alone made me feel respected, Everyone had it. I could take anyone's phone if they allowed me to launch the voice and work it if they had an iPhone. That to me spoke, yeah, we don't have to make something special. It's all inclusive. It's there. No one has to be singled out. Oh, you need that special. So all right, all right, we'll send that to you too. And that'll be an extra $400. We didn't have to worry about that. All in a box, all empowerment for us for the things we want to use, the things we want to take our time to learn, and at least basically being able to make a phone call, being able to send a text and have that privacy and access right there instantaneously. So I think, again, as we've talked before on the show about you know being able to do for yourself and choice now because it's not just Apple. It's just such a fun thing, good thing. And it makes you sit back and um, already, of course, take for granted. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.